Hello and welcome to To The Edge and Beyond, a series that makes sense of powerful innovation for real-world applications. It's brought to you by the Intel Internet of Things Group. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of To The Edge and Beyond podcast series from Intel. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the show. Now, today we're discussing adopting industrial AI for smarter manufacturing, and we're going to be sharing some thoughts on the pitfalls and best practices that should be utilized within facilities. And joining me today to break all of this down with us is Tara Temanayek. She is the systems architect for the industrial solutions division at Intel. Tara, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We are thrilled to have you here on the podcast with us. And also joining us today is Dave Austin. He's a senior principal engineer for the Industrial Solutions Division at Intel. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tyler. Excited to be here. Excellent. Well, I'm excited to have both of you on to share your expertise and your insights in this particular area. And I want to start off here. Now, increasingly, many manufacturers are seeing AI as the way forward, right? So what are some common pitfalls and challenges that you've seen when deploying AI solutions on the factory floor? Uh, And do some of these challenges uh, serve as barriers to entry for, for some companies and for some facilities? Dave, let's start off with you just talking about the pitfalls and challenges that occur when it comes to deploying AI. Yeah, sure. So, you know, the barriers are everywhere and, and you gotta you gotta start with with where the data comes in because because that's the first set of barriers uh, that, that people face anytime you're talking about AI 80% of the issues you know come down to the data and you know it, it's usually starts with the fact that there's just never enough I mean these AI models that we try to deploy you know in factories to give us these great insights they're they're very data hungry they're only as good as the data that, that we feed them uh, you know kind of a common misperception is that uh, AI is really good at learning and, and, and giving us information that we didn't previously have and, and it's actually not not quite the case. AI is very good at giving us insight into what it's trained to do. But once we start getting into that space of asking it to to give us an answer for something it wasn't trained to do or going outside of that data space, it's actually not so great. So so you got to have enough of the right type of data. Um, And and it's not just enough to have data, right? That data has to have context. It has to have labels that have to have a a certain quality. And so without that, it's really hard to even get started with uh, creating an an AI-based solution. But, But let's say you know, we, we overcome some of those barriers. There's kind of this next layer sitting behind those. And, and I would bucket it into this category that I would call generalization, right? If you tell me, Tyler, hey, I, I, I'm a manufacturing manager of this widget factory, and I want you to go create me an, an AI solution. Great. I'll create a, a great solution for you that's going to work on widget line A, and, and you're going to be identifying your, your defects all day long. But then what happens when you tell me, hey, I need to, to, to put this solution on widget line B and then widget line C. And oh, by the way, I've got this other widget factory over in China and I've got this one in India. How well is it going to work in those cases? Well, I'm going to be stammering and stumbling to, well, I don't know. Let's let's see. And so, so, so there's a lot of barriers with what we call generalization or scalability, or how can I take a solution and get it to work under different conditions, you know, different environmental factors, uh, you know, slight variations in the data. So, so this is kind of a large, this is the problem that helps bring us scale. And, and that's a big problem that, that we're trying to help overcome. Yeah, those are, those are great insights, Dave. And, and Tara, I'd, I'd like to hear from you as well on just some of the challenges and pitfalls that you've noticed uh, when it comes to, to uh, deploying AI solutions on the factory floor. 
Sure. Uh, on the same lines as Dave mentioned, right? Say you are a factory which is producing, you know, low volume but high variation. So on your conveyor belt, you have say, let's you're you're building some motors for some aeroplanes, etc. So you have a lots of variation of different parts coming across, and now you are you have to train this AI model to just go keep on changing and learning as as it you know you have new models coming through. Uh, and each floor will have a different lighting conditions. And we are all aware that the minute the lighting condition changes, the, the model fails. So it's not about just, you know, getting that, you know, the training right. It's also about taking into consideration the environment around it. Uh, so you'll see a lot of, uh, you know, points where you'll say there are only, um, you know, 20% or less than that make it from, you know, a research to a pilot to a, actually on a production scale deployment, right? So there is only these many and there's a lot of which which fails to meet that need. And that happens because, uh, you know, you have, you train it in a controlled environment and then when you go it on the real life deployment, you know, it fails and you are not, you're not meeting the accuracy, etc. And all of a sudden, everybody says, oh, I, I don't think this is just a buzzword. Everybody wants to talk about it. And it's not really, you know, delivering on the floor. So that, those are some things which needs to be considered. Yeah, th those are some fantastic points from from both of you, and I, I think you raised some some interesting challenges and obstacles to to deploying AI. And so, uh, so Dave, in light of those challenges, in light of some of these obstacles, can you share some maybe tips and tricks or best practices to help AI adoption, um, even considering some of these challenges that you've mentioned when it comes to to scalability and, and things along those lines? Yeah, sure. So you know. I'd say the biggest challenge that I brought up was around the data. And one of the ways that you can combat problems with data and not having enough data, which is very often the case in manufacturing, is there's kind of this shift going on from moving away from solutions that we would consider supervised solutions to what are called unsupervised or semi-supervised solutions. And just real briefly, what that means is in supervised solutions, I'm giving labels to my data, I'm giving them the context, and I'm asking my AI solution to discriminate between them. So if I've got a whole bunch of images of dogs and a whole bunch of images of cats, and I tell the models, well, these are what dogs look like, and that's what cats look like, that's considered a supervised problem. Well, in industrial AI, there's this move that's happening more towards unsupervised and semi-supervised, which means just show me what good examples look like of your widget, okay? And then once a bad part comes through, my model's gonna have trouble identifying what it is, so it's gonna come across as an anomaly or a defect. So so the ta switching the task type from supervised to unsupervised can actually help overcome quite a bit of this data scarcity problem because you just don't need as many of these you know, bad classes that may be quite rare. You may have this bad widget come through your manufacturing line only once a month, but when it does, oh my gosh, it may bring the whole line down and damage the machine and very, be very consequential, but you, you can't afford to build up so many examples of that just, just to train your model. So, so moving the learning task type is, is one of the ways that we can overcome that. The other one is, you know, bringing more of a systems view to the problem and thinking about all of the variables that go into creating these AI solutions. So environmental control, things like you know, lighting control, camera control, you know, variation is the enemy of, of AI. And the more that we can reduce the number of variables and factors and can control those external conditions, we can start to do things like 
bring more scale scalability and generalization. So when you open that widget factory in China, well, now maybe the solution you created in, in, in the US may, may actually work in, in that factory. So that's another one. And, and then I'd say lastly, you know, creating these solutions today is, is a very data science and data scientist specific task. And, and there's a lot of task switching that goes on and creating the software workflows that, that go into building these solutions. And, and that can bring in time and cost and, and the, those are barriers. So having a greater consistency in the workflow. So create having end-to-end -end software tools that allow us to take data in and get an AI solution out at the end without having to kludge all of these different, you know, open source projects from all over the place and gluing them together and trying to make everything work helps bring down the time to create those, those types of solutions. That's a fantastic explanation. And I think you, you did a really thorough and good job of, of explaining that. Now, uh, Tara, often we hear this term industry 4.0 and to a lot of people that can mean different things. I think if you were to ask, 10 people, you might find a, a few different responses as to what it means to each particular person. So when you hear the term industry 4.0, what does it mean to you and what technologies are really enabling this revolution? Well, a textbook definition for you know industry 4.0 is a digital transformation of manufacturing or you know production-related process. So that's a typical definition. But for me, as a systems architect, I like to understand what it takes to make this transformation happen uh, on a factory floor, right? Uh, there are lots of technologies like artificial intelligence, automation, robotics, big data, cybersecurity, IoT, you know, cloud technologies networking like 5G, Wi-Fi, you name it. There's tons of different technologies, right, out there, which needs to come together and play well to make this uh, Industry 4.0 vision a reality, right? It's almost like an orchestra, right, where all the instruments are coming together to form a rendition. So uh, it's on something on those lines. But I like to say that we must realize uh, this sector, what we call the industrial sector, is a highly profit-driven market, right? So uh, the adoption of technology don't happen because it's you know the latest buzz or you know it's the coolest thing around. Um, only those technologies, right, which makes business sense, right, which can help, uh, you know, solve a problem what this industry is currently facing. Like, you know, you have a proprietary system vendor lock situation. Can you free me from that? I would like to adopt this, your technology or have lack of skilled labor force. You know, I, I want to reduce my downtime by predicting faults before it happens. Or I want to uh, detect defects in my products as they, are, you know, as they occur or even try to avoid those defects. So if you have some technology in those spaces, definitely you will see a large scale adoption of those technologies uh, by, the, by these players. But each individual company is, is anyway at a different level of readiness with respect to adoption. Right. Some have been uh, innovating and adopting the latest trends, so it's easier for them to kind of say, you know, take the latest what's there and adopt it into there. But there are some which are, you know, kind of slower uh, to make those changes. So, and especially uh, the current uh, pandemic situation, you know, has made companies realize that they need to innovate and they need to shift their focus, etc. So there's definitely a lot of uh, interest about, you know, making this industry 4.0 vision a reality. And it's definitely an ex exciting space, but it comes with, you know, its set of challenges for sure. 
Right, right. Absolutely. Now, Dave, you've talked a lot up to this point just about data, right? And uh, and a lot of the, the challenges taking data, like you mentioned, and turning it into actionable items to adjust operational systems, right? And so uh, with more data being collected by edge devices, how can manufacturers really take that data and turn it into actionable items to adjust operational systems in, in near real time? How can that take place and occur? Yeah, yeah. You know, we really shouldn't estimate the, the power of, of what you're describing here because you know, largely what AI is giving us today is is great insights, right? I, I can learn in my widget factory, returning to that example, uh, of what's defective and what's not. But what's really powerful is how do I prevent that defect from ever happening? How do I make a change in my manufacturing line such that I never have that defect to begin with? That's when it actually I can extract value from a solution, right? like that. So, so the majority of the solutions that we have today are in, in that space that I would consider insights. Everybody, everybody wants to move into control. How can I take this information and actually automatically control my process in a way where I can reduce my variation, have higher quality, have higher, higher output, et cetera. And of course, the holy grail is autonomy where this is all happening completely controlled, including the AI systems uh, by itself. Now, but, but, but more directly to your questions, how do we move you know, into this, this control space? Well, you first off, you have to have the right type of data and it has to have the proper context. So it's not just enough to say, hey, I'm, I'm collecting all of this data off, off of a piece of equipment, go create an AI model that can help, help control, control itself. Well, it's, it's not quite that simple. Certainly you have to have enough data, but you have to have the right type. It has to have the right amount of corner cases. When you're talking about automatically controlling a big piece of, of heavy equipment, you better make sure one of the considerations you have to have is, well, when, when you're dealing with a corner case or you're dealing with a data space that isn't normally seen, that you've got some way to, to know how to respond to that. So in this, this data collection process could be quite lengthy. It could uh, involve quite a bit of characterization, not necessarily just running the tool to its normal standard parameters. You you have you have to do a lot more than that, and so those are you know that's probably the biggest thing that you need to do to move in, into this control space. You know the other thing that that I would say here is that it, oftentimes it's not just the sensors that you have available to you on the piece of equipment. Oftentimes you have to add additional sensoring to, to a, either a piece of equipment or to a system to allow you to give the right insights that it would take to control that system. A lot of these systems today and the machines that we're talking about are actually people. Operators on the manufacturing floor that understand the process, know what's going on, can hear something, can, can make changes. Well, if that's data that humans are responding to today. If we're going to have the machines mimic the way we do human control today, we have to have access to that data as well. And oftentimes that data is very elusive in terms of getting into databases that we could, could use to train on. But that, that's really the direction that we have to go if we're going to realize this vision of, of, of true AI-based control. So as we discuss uh, th that future and that vision of, uh, of AI-based control, like, like Dave is talking about, Tata, tell us a little bit more about the Intel ecosystem of solutions and how they can help enable these capabilities within a facility and make what we're talking about a reality um, uh, across the board for, for, for more and more facilities. Sure. Well, general perception in the market about Intel is that we are silicon providers, right? Which is 100% true, and we are leaders in that space. But we offer a lot more than that. We have a whole range of enabling software, developer tools, AI-related software offerings like OpenVINO, et cetera, right? 
uh, and we uh, do partner with some of the best players in this industry to develop solutions for a particular target market like as dave mentioned right um, you know some of these workers have built this skill set over the years they they know just by hearing something that something is going wrong in this process and and to for your system to be able to mimic that you have to train it so we have to collaborate with a lot of these um, folks who have various kinds of skill sets and in my current role a large part of what i do is you know uh, kind of identify those gaps and roadblocks for adoption of uh, technology in real world right so we bring that information back to our internal team and work towards closing those gaps for future offering so um you know in an iot space uh, we all know it's a fragmented market right we need a lot of uh, partners who come with a unique skill set that unique offering to address a real world problem like if you want to develop a vision based solution you need somebody like a data scientist data labeling somebody who knows the information about that particular data etc and somebody who can be feats on the ground and all these so we know that we you know you need a lot of partners to you know uh, deploy uh, scalable solutions and we are also aware that in iot large scale deployment just don't happen overnight right we start with a proof of concept then we transform it to a production pilot and later get into you know a complete factory and things like that so to keep so keeping these things in mind right we have something like a market ready solutions or rfp ready kits where we collaborate with end users and bring out a bundled solution to the market right so it's it's about you know identifying a business problem and developing an end to end solution which is easily scalable right by doing this what we have done is we've reduced the complexity an end user might face when someone is trying to adopt um that um you know that particular technology or what or you know we do a lot of those explorations pathfinding etc so i would say uh, from uh, intel point of view that's how we uh, we are addressing this iot market through our market ready solutions and uh, uh, rfp ready kits so i would um, recommend a lot of end users to you know just go through what we have to offer through our playbooks etc we might have a solution for a particular problem statement one is trying to look at or there might be some kind of customization which might be needed for that particular um problem statement but we have identified those partners specifically for that reason so that they can do that you know offer that last mile customization what is needed for that particular problem statement so i would say we have all these that approach what we've taken from you know not just a component play from mostly a solution play and i think at the end of uh, this uh, discussion we will provide those links etc for the users to go and explore some of our offerings fantastic fantastic stuff tara timanayak and dave austin thank you both so much for joining us here on this episode of the podcast and sharing your thoughts and uh, and giving us your insights on how ai can really be utilized uh, to create smarter manufacturing moving forward it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast great thank you thank you for having us absolutely absolutely and everyone thank you for tuning into this episode of to the edge and beyond if you'd like to learn more about adopting industrial ai to enable smarter manufacturing you can reach out to 
Tata or Dave on LinkedIn. You can also learn more about Intel smart manufacturing success stories like the one with John Deere by visiting www.intel.com forward slash manufacturing. That's intel.com forward slash manufacturing. And of course, stay tuned for upcoming episodes of To The Edge and Beyond. But for this one, thank you once again to my guests. I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for joining us.